Good morning. Hope you guys are doing great. If you will, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up our series in Colossians. We're going to uh, finish out the latter part of 3 and then a couple verses in 4 and then finish out our series. Again, we're so glad you're here. I hope you guys have a great, great weekend. Looking forward to, I was looking at the forecast uh, next Sunday. It looks beautiful. I think like 70s during the day and I think 50s at night. So we're hoping for a great, great Sunday next Sunday. Please come out, invite friends, invite family members. It's going to be a catered meal. We're going to enjoy it. We'll have some games for the kids. It'll be a great, great time. So make sure you fill that out. If you haven't already went online at RSVP with us, uh, make sure you do that today and drop it in the bucket. Hey, we we appreciate your prayers. Michelle and I had uh, a little bit of a rough week uh, Wednesday morning, and I appreciate your prayers. Michelle uh, had a little episode. We really don't know what happened yet. Uh, She passed out, and so uh, we had to uh, get her to the hospital, and we did a bunch of tests, or they did a bunch of tests, and nothing seems to be uh, out of sorts. Uh, We have a couple follow-ups, so just continue to pray for her. Uh, God definitely uh, gave her grace that morning. A lot of things could have went a different direction, and uh, it, was, it was very evident that God's favor and grace was all over that, so I appreciate that, but continue to pray for her and pray for us, and uh, I tell you, there's little things that happen through life that are reminders, right, of what's really important and what's most precious, and, um, and so that was one of those reminders uh, for us this week, and I appreciate my bride so much. I'm so grateful uh, not only to have her in my life, but to have her as my life mate. So I'm, I'm so grateful for her. Um, if you will, Colossians 3, I'm going to review a little bit, and then we'll get right into the latter part of Colossians 3. Uh, you know, as we've talked about um, Colossians, we know that the overall theme of Colossians is really this idea of the superiority of Christ, and that he rules and reigns through everything, and he is utterly supreme in every way. Uh, he's not only over creation, he created all things, and not only created all things, but through him all things were created, and for him everything was created. We see in Colossians 1. So we see uh, Christ over creation. We see, also see Christ superior over philosophy, man's philosophy. Uh, we see it over man's brokenness. He's our savior, and also even over the church. He's the head of the church, and we see that he is superior to any man-made religion, um, we see that Jesus is superior even to our lifestyle. We, we saw last week where Matt did an incredible job unpacking uh, three quarters of the chapter of chapter three and just unpack that. If you haven't seen that, go, go to our uh, Facebook page um, or, our, or our website or even our YouTube channel, and you, he just did an incredible job. But it's interesting how he left strategically right at verse 17. You guys will know exactly what I'm about to address now. And uh, this is, I'm not preaching this today because it's my favorite text, okay? I just want you to know that. It's not. Uh, But it is a text that we need to preach and teach and understand the full meaning of it. And so we're going to read through that today um, and then come back, see what our big big idea is for today, and then unpack the verses. All right. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who 
are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue um, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of your time. Lest you, your speech always, I'm sorry, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And even the ones that uh, we read that we like and the ones that we don't like, God, it's still your word. It's still authority in our lives. And God, I pray as we learn um, what your word says today, God, that our hearts will be open and God, that the seed of the word of God will be deeply planted to give forth fruit and life in our lives. Father, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. First of all, I want to unpack a little bit of cultural things that are going on here. One is this. Um, in this day and time, the male or the husband, the male uh, man, the man was the authoritarian. He was the dictator, if you will. He literally, in the Roman Empire, the man literally had the power over his household to produce life or death. He could literally get rid of his wife for any reason, get rid of his kids for any reason, okay? So that is the culture by which Paul is speaking into, okay? And by the way, a lot of still the world that we live in, I didn't know if you know this, but in many parts of the world, it is still like that. You go to places like um, places that are Muslim countries, it is still very much like that. We, Sean and I visited in Egypt in 2003. We found out there that a, a man could say divorce three times to his wife and she would be gone. And whatever he had, she had on her body at that point, she had to start all over. That's why the women wear all the gold and jewelry they can when they're out. Okay? So you, you need to understand that what Paul was speaking into a culture was like in the Roman Empire, it's very, very similar to some parts of the world even today. Uh, one is also that this is very counterculture. I mean, this is turning, if you will, the, the, the households in those days upside down, the things that he's speaking. It is, it's revolutionary, it's counterculture in the, what, what he is teaching and what he is presenting uh, to the people at Colossae. Also understand that this, in no way, shape, or form is the Word of God or Paul promoting slavery or any sort, okay? We, we, if you look at throughout history, abolitionists, the strongest, have been those that are Christians, those that are followers of Jesus. And so Paul is trying to address, to understand this, that if you have revolt without reformation of the heart, you're bound to repeat history. We've seen it all through society. People rise up in a self-righteousness, 
the heart's never been reformed by Christ. And guess what? Those same people that were against something end up doing something just as evil or more evil than what they were revolting against. And so Paul was putting the proper order that the gospel in Christ must be superior and these other things will take care of themselves and understand that we should stand up against injustice. We should stand up against pornography. We should stand up against sex trafficking and human trafficking, all those things. But the core of that is the gospel. And when your heart has been renovated, those reforms will take place and things will change. And then ultimately, too, we see in this culture that there was no in-between. Either you were free or you were a slave. There was no middle class, okay? So when Paul's speaking to this, you need to understand the context by which he's speaking. The big idea today is this. Jesus is the model and the motivation for both the headship and submission, okay? So he's both the model and the motivation for both headship and submission. Now, what do I mean by headship? Let me, let me give you a working definition. Headship is the unique leadership role of the man in the working of establishing order for human flourishing. See, God created man in his own image. He created woman in his own image. There is this thing called the Imago Dei, in the very image of God. And that's where we learn who we are and why we're here and how things work. And we're going to predominantly talk about that last thing, how things work. This is God is given certain roles and certain order within the building block of society. What is the building block of society? It is the family, okay? Without, without the reproduction of a husband and wife, we have no culture. We have no society, right? And so the building block of our culture is the family, the original small group, the original community group, right? And we also do not have a church without the building blocks of the family, the unit. The family unit. And by the way, I believe that's why the family is being under attack. That's why divorce is rampant. That's why other things are attacking the marriage and the family unit. Because it is the building block for society and it is the building block for our churches. And I believe anything that represents the Godhead and the person and work of Jesus and the gospel, the enemy is after and that's also the reason why we see so many abortions and so many attacks on the very image, the Imago Dei, the image of God. So what does that look like, headship? Headship plays out in the home, it plays out in the church, and it plays out in culture. So we see all three of these places where the headship is played out. And listen, when we talk about headship, what we're saying is husbands are to lead like Jesus. That's what we're saying. We're saying husbands are to lead like Jesus. By the way, all men, whether you're married or not, should lead like Jesus. What does that look like? Well, I think the first thing it looks like is this. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. The first is a sacrificial love toward his wife and toward his kids. The Bible says very clear here, Love your wives as Christ does the church. By the way, if you notice, I switched the order a little bit. I'm dealing with the men first. Why? Because I'm a man, and I think men need to hear this first, okay? Because if you, if you want a wife, a godly woman, you want a Proverbs 31 woman, you've got to be a Proverbs 1 through 30 man, okay? So what, what I I'll, will always be is harder on guys than I will be ladies, okay? Because... 
I look back on my life, and my dad was pretty tough on me. But when I look back, I really wish he would have been tougher at times. And not because he wasn't tough, because I needed it, okay? As men, we need someone to get in our face, to get in our grill, and tell us where we need to be. And not doing it in an ungracious way, not doing it in an unloving way. But listen, when my, my coach used to grab me by the face mask and say, son, you're going through the motions. What is going on? You're supposed to be here and you're here. That would get my attention, okay? And this is what the scripture is telling us. It's grabbing men by the face mask and saying, guys, if, if you're going to be the man that I created you to be, you need to lead like Jesus. You need to love with a sacrificial love. This does not mean he dominates or demeans his wife. This means he is, for her, a type of way that is willingly to sacrifice, willing to lay down his life, willingly to not sleep as much, willingly not to rest in his own comfort, willingly to get up and help, a sacrificial love. This is what we see Jesus. He stepped out of heaven. He put on flesh and blood. He humbled himself as a baby, as a baby, and became our sacrifice. And listen, even we see Jesus when, before he went on the cross, a time where really the, the disciples should have been serving him, and they didn't quite get it. And what did he do? He took off his outer garment, he got down with a basin and a towel, and he washed their feet. Why? Because he was trying to show them that true leadership is a servant mentality. It's a sacrificial love. It's a way that I created you to live with a sacrificial love. This is what God is trying to teach us through the scripture. That men, in the model of headship, we must love with a sacrificial love. We must love like Jesus loved. Now, some of you guys may have heard of a book called The Five Languages. Anybody have heard that book before? Some of you guys have. It's a great book. I read it years ago. I need to read it again. But these are some of the things, when we talk about love, because we know that Scripture says that God is love, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always hopes, perseveres. Love never fails, right? That's what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. But practically, how do we flesh that out? This is what... Uh, the author has showed is that primarily five love languages that we all speak. And by the way, if you want to know what your love language is, it's probably the one you speak to other people, okay? And so let me, let me highlight a few of those. One is called words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Words that say, I appreciate you. Words that say, I honor you. Words that say, I need you. Words that say, we appreciate you. And guys, I, I understand, I, I, I've been a man my whole life, and I've been around a lot of manly men, and I've been around a, all kinds, a slew of men, okay? And I know many men are a man of few words. I get that, certain levels, okay? And I grew up around four girls and no brothers, so I guess I'm a little bit more in touch with my feminine side. But, <laughs> but I also know this, words matter, and words are powerful, and you need to speak words of affirmation over your wife. The other one is quality time. We need, to, we need to build in, we need to calendar. I learned a long time ago that you've got to calendar your dates. You've got to calendar time with each other just like you do anything else. Our girls will know if you ask them, it used to be Thursday, now it's Friday. What's the first Friday of every month? They'll tell you. 
mom and daddy's date night. Okay? What is the first, what's the second Friday of every of our month? That's Hope's date night. What's the third one? That's Emmy's. What's the fourth one? That's a family night. Okay? Now we still try to work in family time, but that's important. Okay? Receiving gifts. Okay? I don't know any woman that doesn't like a gift. Okay? I I don't know. I I don't I've never met a woman who doesn't like jewelry. Okay? I'm just I'm just saying, okay? Now, understand gifts, you don't have to drop a couple hundreds every time you get a gift. I get it. We're on a budget, right? But gifts can be the smallest thing. Again, it can, be, it can be a note with some chocolate, right? It can be something that is just kind in receiving a gift. Now, acts of service, okay? Can I give you guys a hint? I, I, it's taken me a long time to figure this out, guys. Can I tell you that cleaning your wife's, or cleaning your house can actually be, be romantic? Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? If we didn't have kids in here, I would say it's foreplay. But anyway, it, it, literally, do you understand that you, you literally, are you fanning for a reason up there, baby? Okay. I did clean the house yesterday, so I'm just saying. All right. But, but I, I'm just saying acts of service are a big deal, okay? They're a big deal. And so doing those things for your wife that she may normally do or sharing those responsibilities, right, is such a big deal. And then physical touch, you know, just this idea of a habit of every morning hugging each other, embracing each other, giving each other a kiss, those things are important, seeing that, okay, seeing those things that are act of touch, encouraging. Now, I will say this, one of the other ways you can love your wife well is to pray for her. Um, we've got cards right here in our resource center, and these are for each. There's some for your praying for your husband, praying for your wife, praying for your kids, praying for your family. I heard a guy say years ago, one of the best things you can do is pray with your wife daily. Because let me tell you something, it's hard to stay upset at someone when you pray for them. Do you have somebody you really struggle with being around, maybe struggling with a difficult relationship situation? If you can pray for them, your heart will change, okay? So I think the scripture is telling us very clearly that we need to be loving, loving like Jesus. If you think about what Jesus did, all these areas, he, he did acts of service. He went and spent quality time. He, he gave gifts, if you will, by blessing and healing people. He touched them. He served them. Listen, all these things that we see, we need to love like Jesus. The second thing I believe this text is sharing with us today is this, that man needs to be in charge of the spiritual direction of his home. So when he's talking about this, it's all engaged in relationships, relationships with his wife, relationship with his kids, relationships with his employer or employees, right? So all these things are working together, but man will set the spiritual climate of the home. Do you know 96% of kids follow the spiritual direction of the father? Think about that. It's about, I think it's a low 80s, like 84, 82% of mothers. And I'm saying if you're here and a single mom or your husband has left or abandoned or whatever situation, I'm not saying that God's not going to use you. He will use you. And where the ideal situation, God's grace abounds even more. But what I'm saying is this, men, God designed you to be the spiritual leader of your home. 
And there's a reason why that, because kids are going to follow the spiritual direction of their father. And so it's so important to understand the man will set the spiritual climate in the home. Children tend to follow daddy. By not setting the spiritual climate, you're setting a spiritual climate. By not entering that space and centering your home in Jesus on the word of God and the truth of God's grace, you are setting a climate that is contrary to the gospel, contrary to God's word. To refuse to set up a spiritual climate is to set up a spiritual climate. You have no choice but to bring the ethos of your home the way God is seen, considered, and loved or not loved. In other words, men, how your kids see you is how they view a heavenly father. It's how it's set up. And so now listen, that leaves no excuse for us as men because some of the most godly men I know have had some of the most jacked up situations in their homes where fathers were alcoholics or fathers were abusers or fathers were, were men who were womanizers, whatever it may have been, maybe completely abandoned And some of those godly men. So that's not an excuse, but I will say this, that as men, we have to set the spiritual direction and it will have ramifications for how we live our lives and how our kids view God. It's interesting that the latter part of that text I wrote, it said, making the best use of your time. And that was really dealing with this idea of, of dealing with outsiders. But I really believe that's applicable to our home as well. I brought a jar today, okay? And these jar, this jar is filled with marbles. And marbles represent uh, a week or a weekend, if you will. There's 52 marbles in that right there. That represents a year in a kid's life, right there. A year in a kid's life. This jar, I counted them this morning, has 357 marbles. That's how many weeks I've got, Michelle and I have left with hope until she turns 18. Now, men, what are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with those weeks? What are you going to do with those weekends? Now, I don't think what, the Paul, what Paul is saying or the scripture is saying is make your kids the center of your life. Because that will jack them up, I promise you. And that will jack you up, too. Because... They may be a great gift from God, but they're not the source of life. So they're a gift. They should never be the source of life. And so that's why it's so important to show them Jesus is the source. But what are you going to do with that time? It's so important to set the spiritual direction for your family. But we as men struggle. We have a couple areas of struggle. One is this areas of is this idea of selfish passivity. One of man's hurdles is selfish passivity. This doesn't mean the absence of doing anything because that's impossible. See, the reality is we're all actively pursuing something always, all the time. What I mean by passive is men who are actively pursuing something other than what God desires and designed for them to pursue. Here are some examples. Our refusal to worship God. Engage in fantasy instead of reality. Fantasizing and living in a world of fantasy instead of the world that God has put you in, in a place where you're to live, work, and be productive. Silent in a moment where words are needed is passivity. Excuse-making, complaining, busyness can even be passive or passivity. Laziness, leaving people in need and just walking right by them. 
That's passivity. In other words, you're to act and you choose not to act or something that's contrary. See, to walk in selfish passivity as a man is to actively live against God's design for manhood. Another hurdle that men struggle with many times is this hurdle of ungodly or selfish aggression. To oppress, to dominate, instead of lovingly serve and protect those around us. We men are now inclined because of sin and because the curse to rule and to reign over people in a sinful way. Many times. Now, I want you to think about this. Anytime you see manhood step up and do what God has called them to do is to serve and protect and provide and to lead, right? All these areas. What do we see? We see societies thriving. We see things growing and prospering. Why? Because that's how God designed it. If you go to cultures where men are murdering and raping and abandoning and not doing their God-given design, the way to lead, what do we see? We see destruction, right? We see cultures that are ravished. Why? Because men are not stepping up and leading how they're supposed to lead. They're not leading in the design that God designed them to lead. Now, let's get to the part that I skipped, and that's verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I want to make it clear, submission does not in any way mean that man is superior or women are inferior. Okay? That's not what it means. Let me, let me give you a really good example of that. We see in several occasions in Scripture where Jesus says things like this in Matthew 5. He says, I, I'm sorry, John 5. He says, I do nothing on my own. I only do what my Father says to do. We also see in Matthew 26 where he was getting ready to go to the cross. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. And it was a, it was a place where the olives, the olive press was produced this oil, right? And we see Jesus sweating drops of blood. I believe the sin of man was beginning to come upon Jesus. He was feeling feel the weight and the shame of sin. And what does he say? Father, I wish this cup could pass from me, but not my will. Your will be done. What? What he's saying is, listen, I submit to the Father. Now, we know Jesus is God, right? We just read in the beginning of Colossians 1, everything was made through him and by him and for him, right? So if we know that Jesus is God, but he submits to the Father, is he inferior to the Father? No. Is, this, is the Father superior to him? No. They're equal. And the scriptures say over and over again to submit to one to another. In fact, in Ephesians it says that as husband and wife were to submit to one another, but there are roles, okay? There's roles that God has placed in, in us. And so when, we t when, we, when the scriptures are saying submit, it says wives are to submit like Jesus submitted. So what, let, me, let me explain a few things what submission is not. Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Okay? In fact, you'll see that uh, the word when in Genesis uh, 2, when it says that Eve was created, is created a helper. The, the word there is uh, ezer, right, or azer, and literally means the same word in the Old Testament when it says that God would be a helper to us. And in Exodus, where it says that God is our helper, deliverer, right? And so literally means the same word, if you will, divine help. God has given us 
if you're a married man, God has given you a wife as a helper, if you will, divine help, okay, to help you. And so we need to understand that as, as a, my professor once said, God uses our wives to shape us and mold us, right, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will, like spiritual sandpaper. But listen, as wives, listen, if, if, if my wife agreed with everything I said, I would probably be mad in the end because there is something about us being able to both have strong personalities and work toward the gospel and work toward raising our families that there is a sharpening back and forth, right? And so understanding that submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar, okay? It doesn't mean that. It means that we submit as unto the Lord. We submit as Jesus would submit. Submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband, okay? It, it, it means that God gave you to your husband to help him, to encourage him, to challenge him. But it also doesn't mean that you got to buck everything he has a desire for, right? Or to challenge everything he has an idea for. Submission does not mean putting the will of your husband for the will of Christ. There's only one king. His name is Jesus. There's, there's no king in our house. God has allowed um, us, if you will, to allow me to be the head of the home, the headship, and for my wife to come along my side together to lead. But listen, there's only one king. His name is Jesus. And he is in our, he is, he is in our home. He is present, and he's given us power through his Holy Spirit to lead our home. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength from her husband. Listen, I've said this a, a bunch of times. My wife's an incredible wife, but she makes a crummy God. Same thing with me. Hopefully I'm a decent husband, but I make a terrible God, right? You cannot make your kids or your spouse your God. And finally, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. I love what John Piper says about what, it, what does it look like? What does submission look like? He says this, it is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's the attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take the responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish when, um, when you're passive and I have to make sure the family works. But the attitude of a, a Christian submission also says, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want, me to, and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead. But I can't follow you into sin. As much as I love to honor you and your leadership in our marriage, Christ is my king. That's what submission looks like. So, what does that mean for us today? Ladies, we want you to thrive. We want you to grow. We want you to utilize your gifts. We want you to have big minds and big hearts. And I can tell you, as your lead pastor and speaking as one of the elders on the behalf of the elders, we need you. We desperately need you. We need you to make sure you're making disciples. What does that look like? That means making time for other ladies to disciple them or to be discipled. That's what it looks like. And sometimes you that have little kids around, sometimes that means dragging those kids along or, or figuring out something else, okay? Guess what? Those kids will see it, they'll model it, they'll catch it, right? 
So that's what it looks like. And, and ladies, can I encourage you? Men need respect and honor just like you need love. They need respect and honor just like you need love. I've told my wife a bunch this a bunch of times, but I would rather take about a dozen punches to the gut and to the face than for her to speak a word that's discouraging to me. There is something about the power of a woman's, uh, I'm sorry, a wife's voice to her husband that can bring about life or death. See, I think deep down every man in this room that's married or plans to be married wants to honor and love his wife and really probably wants to give just about everything he can to her. But we're limited, right? We, we can only do so much. And he wants deep down to please her. And when that wife is somehow disappointed or somehow puts him down, I can tell you there is nothing that keeps me up more at night than that. Because I want to please my wife, and I think every man in here that has a bride or wants to be married wants to do that as well. See, one of, one of a woman's hurdles is that of comparison. This is where men have their struggles, women have their struggles, right? And this is where I think social media has taken us places we don't need to go. But we, we look, we, we, we peruse social media, and we think, Everybody's got it better than us. Everybody's got it better than us. Yeah, you know, recently contacted, contacted a guy to ask him some, for some advice. It wasn't even really involved in ministry. And this is a guy who was actually a little bit younger than me. And I uh, told my wife, I really idolized him in some ways. It seemed like everything he did touched the gold, so to speak. He was in ministry had a really new, unique situation, unique position. And uh, I reached out to him and called him, started talking to him, come to find out his life is literally on the rocks right now. His life has fallen apart. And one, it reminded me that sometimes we idolize things and situations that aren't always what they appear to be. And two, it broke my heart to want to begin to pray for him and pray for his family. And I'm asking God to redeem and restore that situation. But understanding this, comparing is really out of an impure heart. So it really came back to my heart, desiring something that God had not given me, but envying someone else's life. That's covetousness. That's, that's what it means. It, it, it eats you up. And it says right here that God is not a God of partiality. It's not like he chooses to bless some people and bless, not bless other people. He, he is giving his, his blessing out. And it's for us to align ourselves with his will and his ways. The other thing that women struggle with in the hurdles is that of perfectionism. What happens? Listen, if the, <laughs> if the uh, companies that produce hair color went out of business and we showed up a month later, will, will we recognize anyone here? I, I'm just saying, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't know. Uh, so for those who are losing it, you know, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, but w w what I'm saying is this, we, what do we do? We, we tend, and listen, it's not just women, men do this too. But it is an area that I can tell you, my wife just spoke on this recently at a, a, a young ladies conference where she talked about this idea of, 
comparing and perfectionism and how it can eat you up inside. And, and the scriptures make it very clear, beauty is not on the outside. Beauty is that of the heart. And so true beauty, what makes you more attractive is to be more like Jesus. And listen, where is your sense of value at? Where is your sense of worth? If it's found in Jesus. Listen, we can all leave today and we can get in a car accident and we could be ravished. Our body could be ravished because of an accident. Is that going to make you less valuable to your mate? No. Is that, is that going to make you less valuable to God? No. The reality is the beauty that God has given you is from the inside out. So as, as ladies, you need to understand your true beauty, your true value, true worth comes from that of knowing the person and work of Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with him. So as men are prone to selfish passivity and selfish aggression, women are prone to disordered desires of comparison and perfectionism. Both of these lead to a type of darkness and destruction that erode the very feminine soul so women will carry with them under the weight of comparison and perfectionism the stench of death, just like men carrying and walking in selfish passivity and selfish aggression, the reek of death themselves. That's what happens. So, if you're here today understanding that God desires for us as men to lead and take the headship by loving like Christ, women are to follow, if you will, submit like Jesus. This is what it looks like. And it goes on to talk about Husbands, listen, do not provoke your kids to wrath. Don't discourage them. <laughs> we always say this at home. We, we want to break their will, but not their soul, right? Not their spirit. So there's that conforming understanding. I always discipline my kids. I always look at them and say, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to keep you out of jail one day. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Uh, I mean, if you, if you lie, cheat, and steal out in the world, you're going to go to jail. They're going to come and put handcuffs on you, right? And they're eyes like this. I'm like, yes, it's true, all right? But listen, we don't want just conformity, right? We want, we want our kids to be transformed. Well, how did that happen? It happens through Jesus, him being superior in our home, him having reign and rule in our lives, and listening to him as we live life. See, the fatherhood of God, like I said earlier, we as men, we are giving our kids a picture of what God looks like. And I, again, I, I've, I've said this a couple times. I've preached on this. This is where we can find in Luke 3 where Jesus is baptized. It's found in verses 21 through 22, and it says this. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There's six things that we see the Father of God, the fatherhood of God present to his kids. One is this, being present. You got you to gotta, have quality time. You got to be around. You got to be present. You got to let your presence be felt, Right? And that comes in all different forms, but it needs to be felt. It also needs to be spoken, guys. We need to speak. We need to be make known in our kids' lives. 
The fourth thing is we need to identify with, this is my son, this is my daughter. And listen, we need to speak with love. Speak with love, live out with love, acts of service, all these things we were talking about. And speak to them and speak over them blessings. I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate to be your daddy. I'm so fortunate to be able to invest in you. I love you. And begin to highlight those things about that kid that you admire. Listen, we all know what we're not, even as kids. Your kids need to know what they are. They're loved and encouraged, right? Highlight those things that are pleasing to the Lord. The reality is this. When he goes on to finish this chapter, he talks about this idea of doing everything heartily unto the Lord, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, and serving as to the Lord Jesus. This is what I want you to understand. Work, authority, and leadership is about pleasing an audience of one, which is Jesus. That's really all of life. That's what it means to, to live out as a husband. That's what it means to live out as a wife. That's what it means to live out as a kid. I always tell our kids over and over again, listen, God placed your mommy and your daddy over you. Why? To be responsible for you. To understand that we are God's authority in your life. And so when you rebel against us, you're rebelling against God. That's why God talks about how dangerous it is for rebellion. Why? Because it leads to death, right? It can lead to physical death. Ultimately, rebellion of the heart leads to eternal death, right? And so understanding the gospel. Well, let me ask you this big question today. As a husband, as a wife, as a kid, as a single guy or single lady, are you, are you totally submitted to Jesus' authority in your life? Because listen, when it comes back to it and you see these areas of leadership and headship and submission, it all goes back to the heart. It all goes back to being surrendered. It all goes back to humility before the Lord. Understand that you cannot do this in your own power. You cannot do this in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life, to be the husband you need to be, the wife, the kid, the single man, the single woman. God has called you to be. It takes humility, and it takes a surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. If, there's, if you're here today and you've never experienced what it means to experience God's grace through the gospel, trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to be reconciled to the Father, I want to invite you to do that today. And if you're here today and you're struggling in your life because you've got this thing flipped upside down and you're serving yourself or you're serving another person and not serving Jesus or making your kids your God or your husband or your wife your God or your job your God or some other person your God, you've got it mixed up. And you wonder why you're not happy. You wonder why you're discontent. You wonder why your bitterness is growing. You're wondering why you're always comparing. Because the heart is in the wrong place. We stand. As I close in prayer, we're going to have some couples or individuals up here and you want somebody to pray with or you want to be prayed for. We want to do that for you this morning and encourage your heart. Father, thank you so much again for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. God, I pray as we heard from your word today, God, it would be an encouragement to others, a challenge. God, none of us have arrived. We're all uh, on this journey. 
God, some of us know you, some of us don't. Um, some of us are, are striving with you. Others are, have taken maybe three steps forwards and four steps back. We're, we're all different spots. Some of us may have been cold for a while. God, you're calling us back to repentance. You're calling us back to your side. God, would you do what only you can do? And that's eternally change hearts and minds. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.